It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 282 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America. The Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, August 18th, 2020. For the second week in a row, we have ourselves a bonus episode. Last week, we did three episodes, of course, as the Big Ten just turned into a grease fire. We thought they were going to cancel the season. We thought they were going to save the season, and then they ended up canceling. We did three episodes last week. This week, it appears as though we will do three episodes again because there is so much to to get into even just off of stuff that happened on Monday. I know you guys all know what a great day it was, but the SEC releases that full 10-game league schedule, a great sign that college football is trending in the right direction. Also thought there was some interesting reaction to the news at North Carolina where the campus closed down But all the corona freaks didn't worry as much as I was expecting. Maybe we have turned the corner on the conversation on coronavirus. One place that has not happened, by the way, the Big Ten. Another surreal day in the Big Ten. We are going to break that down as the Penn State AD admits that she's not even sure if the president's ever voted to cancel the season. And I am telling you right now, the Big Ten is in the middle of a cluster. As Tom Mars, a high-profile attorney who has done a lot of legal work for student-athletes in college sports, he appears ready to take the Big Ten to task. And I'm telling you, I don't know that we get a Big Ten season, but these parents and these players are not giving up. They are lawyering up, and so we will talk about that. We will wrap on two quick college basketball notes, just crushing news for Arkansas as Isaiah Joe, their leading returning scorer, he opts to opt back in the NBA draft for people who do not know the deadline to withdraw to retain your college eligibility was two weeks ago on August 3rd, but there was a loophole for this one year where players could submit their name to the NBA after that through August 17th. Isaiah Joe makes that decision. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then a positive college hoops note. A day after I said that I'm worried about all this liability stuff, Gonzaga and Baylor appear to have a game scheduled. That would be a mega showdown. Baylor is number two in my preseason poll. Gonzaga number two, excuse me, Baylor number three. That would be the equivalent of getting 
oh, I don't know, Georgia, Alabama, and football. Oh, wait, we're getting that. So, great show today. Fun show today and a bonus show today, and it's crazy, guys, because it, everything's they, – they say sometimes in life the stars align, and it's crazy because as I've told you for a couple weeks, I have been leaning towards doing a third show uh, once football season starts, and it appears as though we're kind of trending that direction as we speak. I don't know that we'll definitively do the third show every week, but if you like the bonus AT, if you like the bonus Torres, and if you want more Torres, let me know, because if we get football this fall, I will definitely be doing a third show every week, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we do get that football, and we got a lot of football to talk about today. So, with that said, let's get started. Before we do, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are, in fact, subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, how you listen, where you listen to the show, uh, what app. I don't really care what. Just make sure that you rate and review the show. It really does help us move up the iTunes charts. Also, as I've told you a million times, make sure you're following me on social media, uh, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, Aaron Torres Writer on Facebook, uh, and of course, uh, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, where I'm sharing all kinds of fun clips and things from this show. Finally, if you have any questions for me for the show, always feel free to reach out. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And with that said, people. There is no more time to waste, and we do have to get in to what was a great day for college football, and it came on Monday. As the SEC, we have had so many bumps and bruises and potholes in the road, whatever verbiage you want to use on this path toward a college football season. We've had ebbs and flows. We've had good days and bad, and on Monday, it felt like a really good day. The SEC releases a full schedule. They actually put out the week one matchups in the middle of the day. Uh, felt a little anticlimactic, and we'll get into that in a minute. And then they put out the matchups for the entire season later in the evening. Got everybody excited to see all those matchups, when they're going to happen, how they're going to happen, where they'll take place, what week they'll take place. And you start to really get to break down the schedule and figure out, okay, who plays who where, how does it go, when does it happen, what does it happen. And it was just a great, great, great day for college football. And speaking of which, I do want to start there. We're going to get into some individual teams and stuff in a moment, but I do want to say that to me, this was a great day for college football and an important day for college football because as I told you on last episode, every single day between now and September 12th when the Big 12 kicks off and really September 26th when the SEC kicks off, it is going to be a battleground for college football. Every negative headline is going to be used as a reason that we can't have college football. Every positive headline, you're going to have guys like me on shows like this saying, hey, this is good news. We can proceed with college football. And as I've said a million times, nobody knows if we can actually pull off football, but I give the SEC so much credit for trying, and that is what Monday symbolized to me, okay? 
I do not believe that the SEC would push forward with a conference schedule do the pomp and circumstance that comes with it if they are not planning right now to play football. And I know what some of you will say, well, the Big Ten did the same. They put out a schedule. I believe it was August 5th, and then less than a week later, they canceled the season. I will tell you this. This does not feel the same. First off, it feels like everybody is much more aligned in the SEC. For right now, it feels like the school president's Obviously, the coaches, the players, the parents, the ADs, and Greg Sankey, the commissioner, it appears as though they are all on the same page. And I've said it before, I've said it in context of other things, I do not believe that Greg Sankey would move forward with a day like today where you have set up the SEC network, you put the schedule out, you have everybody so excited, I do not believe you do that if you are not going to do everything you can to have a college football season. Does it mean it will happen? No. Even Greg Sankey said on the broadcast some of the stuff that he has seen in these college campuses and college towns has worried him. Obviously, we all saw the picture at Alabama where everybody was walking around without masks. Auburn, some of the football players are already tweeting about concerns about their student body. I saw Kentucky had a, a, a campus party broken up the first weekend that they were there. So there is obviously concern. But I thought this was a great sign, a very exciting sign. And so with this, let's talk a little bit about the schedule. And before we talk about the schedule, what I figured I would do is this, okay? So my job, obviously is, look, uh, I cover sports for a living, and obviously, look, college hoops is my bread and butter. I love college football, and of course, I follow all of these other sports as part of my job, also because, as I say all the time, I am a huge fan of sports, and so what I was thinking to open this show is that I know all of you cannot follow all 14 SEC teams, right? You have your team that you love, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, Bama, Texas A&M, whoever. And I understand that you guys can't always follow every single team in the SEC. And so what I wanted to do really quick, because I figured there's no point in breaking down the storylines if you don't first know what the storylines are going into the season. So there's no reason for me to be like, oh, LSU Alabama's a big game if I don't explain to you why it is. And so really quickly, I just kind of want to give you a recap of what happened since last season, what it all means, kind of the hierarchy in the SEC going into this season, and then we'll get into some of the things that stood out to me. First off, in the SEC, I think it goes without saying because it's been this way for about two, three, four years now. It feels like the upper crust of the SEC, if you will, is Alabama and Georgia. Now, Alabama is, of course, coming off the first season in the history of the college football playoff where Alabama did not make it. I believe I could be mistaken last year was year five, year six, I believe, and it was the first time Alabama didn't make it. Of course, they lost to LSU at home with Tua. Then they lost in the Iron Bowl without Tua after he got injured. And so they are coming off a season in which they obviously have something to prove. So far, it's been a quiet offseason in Alabama. As best we know, all their players are still planning on playing. And the big story is Mac Jones, who was the starting quarterback at the end of last season, played very well. Uh, he is now taking over at quarterback. Now, they have a nice freshman named Bryce Young from right down the street here in Los Angeles, where I live, who is competing for playing time. But it appears as though, at least to start, Alabama is going to have Mac Jones at quarterback, and he is kind of the guy to watch. Georgia, 
Look, we know the deal with Georgia. You guys know they've been a little bit of a punching bag for AT. Uh, for people who are new to the show, I call Georgia the Enron of college football because they are a total fraud. They hype themselves up. Oh, we're a national championship contender. Oh, we're this. Oh, we're that. 0-2 against Bama in the games that matter. Lose to LSU in the SEC championship game. And the stat that I use on Georgia all the time is this. Kirby Smart, for as good as he is, is 0-4 against Nick Saban and Ed Orgeron, and three of those games were played in Atlanta, okay? Two SEC championship games, and of course the national championship game where they lost to Alabama. Of course, while I criticize Georgia, they remain one of the most talented teams in college football, and in a season where Alabama does have some real questions at quarterback, uh, Florida, Texas A&M, LSU, they're all good but not great, this might be the year that Georgia breaks through. We will see. They have a new quarterback. They technically have two new quarterbacks. Uh, Jamie Newman, who was very successful at Wake Forest, and JT Daniels, a highly touted transfer from USC. Those two guys are competing for the quarterback position. But I think it's important to know in the SEC, those two teams are kind of the teams that are going into the season on the top. Right behind them, I think it's at least worth mentioning LSU. Now, what you need to know about LSU, you probably heard they are last year's national champion, okay? Uh, and they had an incredible historic season, 15-0, but they've basically lost everybody off of last year's team. Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner, is gone. Uh, they had 14 players total drafted in the NFL draft, and both their offensive and defensive coordinators are gone. Joe Brady, the highly uh, touted offensive coordinator, I passing game coordinator, I believe is, was his title last year at LSU. He is now the offensive coordinator with the Carolina Panthers. And Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator, is now the head coach at Baylor. And so LSU is starting over. I think they're still going to be really good. I love the energy that Coach O has brought to that program. I love that quote that he had a few days ago where he said, you tell us to play at midnight in a cow pasture, we're playing at midnight in a cow pasture. I love the energy that he's brought to that program, but I do think that this is somewhat of a little bit of a rebuilding year. It's hard to see them repeating what they did just because they lost so much, but LSU's kind of on a free roll this year after everything that happened last season. Right below those three teams, the two teams that I want to mention now, Texas A&M and Florida. I think both of those teams and both of those fan bases believe this is the year they could break through that glass ceiling, compete for an SEC championship and a playoff berth. Texas A&M, they basically return everybody. They have a fourth-year starter at quarterback in Kellen Mond. Um, and this is go time, right? You hire Jimbo Fisher. You pay him $70-plus million guaranteed. Uh, and as good as he's been in the first two years, it's time to deliver. And in his defense, like I think he's done pretty well. First year he goes nine and four, I believe, uh, but they finished with a bowl game, nine wins, solid season. Last year, and still what is one of the most incredible stats ever, they had by far the toughest schedule in college football. They played at Clemson in the Ottawa Conference, and then they played at LSU, Bama, and Georgia in conference play incredibly. They played three different teams, Clemson, Bama, LSU. 
that were basically ranked number one in the country when they played them. So A&M had this insanely tough schedule, but they return everybody, and it's basically go time for Jimbo Fisher. You are out of excuses. You got to start living up to that contract at some point. Florida, also year three for Dan Mullen. Back-to-back 10-win seasons. Can't quite get past Kirby Smart, but it'll be interesting to see if they can live up to those expectations. Staying in the SEC, two programs that I think are both on the upward trajectory, and we have a ton of fans from both fan bases who listen to this show, Tennessee and Kentucky. I don't want to say it's go time, I don't want to say that, but both fan bases have real excitement going into this season, believing that it can be a special season, or maybe that it would have been a special season before you go to SEC-only schedules. I think both fan bases understand that with an SEC-only schedule, the narrative changes, the schedule gets tougher, all of a sudden Tennessee has Texas A&M on their schedule when they weren't supposed to, all of a sudden Kentucky has Alabama on their schedule when they weren't supposed to, so things get tougher. But when you look at Tennessee, we all know the narrative. They start 1-4 last year. They lose to Georgia State. They lose to BYU. And then all of a sudden, completely turn a corner. They win their final six games. Real excitement in Knoxville and real excitement in Lexington. Uh, Mark Stoops, it goes without saying, what he has done is unbelievable. And in talking to smart people who cover that team, like Nick Roush from Kentucky Sports Radio, this might be the deepest, most talented roster that Kentucky has basically fielded in our lifetime. And of course, the big question with them is at quarterback. So those are the two teams that are really exciting. And then I'll just kind of wrap up. I'm not going to go through every single team in the conference, but what you need to know four new head coaches in this conference as well, okay? So in case you forgot, let's never forget, there was an Ole Miss-Mississippi State game at the end of last season. Ole Miss scores a a touchdown to, uh, to cut the lead to one. All they need to do is kick an extra point, and the guy who scores the touchdown decides to do the Odell Beckham, I'm going to fake pee on the ball, and you guys probably all remember, if you don't find, find it on YouTube, It costs Ole Miss 15-yard penalty. They missed the extra point. Matt Luke is fired. Bummer, but it also led to Lane Kiffin being hired at Ole Miss. Mike Leach, how about this? Mississippi State, you want a story about Mississippi State. They survived that game. Then they're getting ready for their bowl game, and their starting quarterback gets knocked out of the game because he gets beat up by the team's starting linebacker. So the so Joe Moorhead gets fired at Mississippi State. Mike Leach comes in, and of course Arkansas with Sam Pittman has a new head has a new head coach, and Missouri has a new head coach as well. So that's kind of just the rundown of what happened in the SEC in the offseason. And now I want to get to a couple just storylines that I thought were interesting as I looked at the schedule. The first one. The week one schedule. First of all, I just want to hit on the week one schedule really quick. Uh, I, I think everybody was super excited. My buddy Cole Kublik kind of put out a, a, a crazy tweet that made it feel like the schedule might be bigger and a little bit better than it potentially was. Love you, Cole. Not mad at all. Cole's the man. Cole was one of the best guests I've ever had on the show, by the way. But schedule comes out and it feels like it's a little bit of a bummer, but I want to give the SEC the benefit of the doubt. I think the SEC really wanted to take it slow, really wanted to dip their toe into the water, and really didn't want to create too much excitement on the chance that we're just not ready to go on September 26th. And so the idea was maybe we get some of these rivalry games, these big games early in the season on the chance that we cannot finish the season in the winter. Instead, it's the exact opposite. 
And I think it was the right decision. I think it was the right decision to not have any big marquee games in that week one schedule on the off chance that you have to cancel. Now, why do I bring that up? It's because a somewhat quiet schedule uh, does have some intrigue to it. First of all, those four new head coaches basically have the four toughest teams in the conference, and I think what it was was the SEC wanted to give everybody a layup early. So Alabama plays at Missouri. That's going to be a bloodbath. I saw, by the way, people talking about the opening line potentially at minus 19.5. If you get minus 19.5 on that, jump on it, bet your mortgage. Alabama's going to win that game by at least four touchdowns. Arkansas is playing Georgia. That's going to be really bad. Uh, Ole Miss is playing Florida, so Kiffin versus Mullen, that's kind of fun. And then finally in week one, uh, how about this? Mississippi State, LSU, Mike Leach, Coach O. It, it just doesn't get better than that. So that is the week one stuff. But the really intriguing game in week one is Kentucky at Auburn. And Kentucky, as I said, I think there's a lot of people that believe this is the best Kentucky team of our lives. And I think it's a really interesting thing that they can make a statement early in the season at Auburn. Auburn is really good, but I think they're going to be in kind of a transition year. The defense isn't quite as good as it was last season. Uh, Bo Nix did not quite live up to expectations last season. And so if Kentucky was ever going to make a statement, ever pull off an upset, ever prove to people that they are uh, a program that is very much continuing to be on the rise even after two really successful seasons, this would be the way to do it. Remember, it's a quiet day in the SEC. We have no other marquee matchups. And oh, by the way, no Big Ten games, no Pac-12 games. So if you want to make a statement in your Kentucky, this is the way to do it. That's kind of the quick takeaway from week one. Looking at some of the other big stories from the from early in the college football season, the SEC football specifically, I think the one that stands out to me is very simply this. I told you about Texas A&M. I told you that they believe in College Station, that they are a national championship, maybe not quite on that national championship level, but that they should be completing, competing for a playoff berth this year. Well, we're going to find out really early. They have a very easy game against Vandy to open. But then, how about this? They play at Alabama and Florida at home. So Texas A&M, if you are a national championship contender, if you should be taken seriously in the college football playoff race, you got a chance to show it to us early. Bama on the road, Florida at home in the first three weeks of the season. Speaking of Florida, it's kind of the same deal. Hey, Florida, you want a chance to show the world just how good you are? You got that opportunity early, baby, because how about this for Florida? I just mentioned they play at A&M in week three, and then week four, they play LSU. LSU, a team that beat them last year on their way to a national championship. And so I think Florida is another team. I'm not quite as high on them coming into this season, but I think it's worth monitoring. I do think it's worth monitoring because if they are legit, we're going to find out about it early. They play at A&M and LSU uh, within the first four weeks of the season. Speaking of the first four weeks of the season, how about my boys, the Georgia Bulldogs? First of all, Georgia plays Auburn in week two of the college football season. This is for people who are not college football diehards. It is called the Deep South's oldest rivalry. And while Alabama-Auburn, the Iron Bowl, Florida-LSU, some of these other rivalries get bigger buzz, my understanding from people on both sides is these two sides hate each other. So how about getting it in week two? How about getting it in week two 
in between the hedges, probably no fans there, but it'll be fascinating. And then to take it a step further, we get Georgia at Bama in week four. And I'll tell you this, I actually do like Georgia a little bit more coming into this year than I have in previous years. But man, oh man, oh man, is this a tough year to draw Bama. And to be clear for people who do not know, this game was actually already on the schedule. So this was going to happen before COVID. And so you look at this game and it's everything for Georgia, right? Because look, even if they lose this game, they can still get back to the SEC championship game. They can still get to the playoff. But at a certain point, you want to be considered with the big boys. You got to play with and beat the big boys. Georgia wins this game. I think they're going to the playoff. If they lose, going to have to beat Bama probably in the SEC championship game to get there. So to me, uh, just a fascinating early season matchup, and I am so intrigued by Georgia. Uh, a couple other things, like LSU just has a fascinating schedule with Florida and Auburn and A&M, and of course a game at Alabama. I'll be so intrigued to see how LSU handles this. Remember, last year was the year Ed Orgeron, they beat Alabama. Ed Orgeron has that crazy victory speech that I shared on my Instagram where he basically ended the speech by saying, we're going to beat their ass in recruiting. We're going to beat their ass every time we see them on the field. Roll Tide, what F you? Well, you think Nick Saban isn't thinking about that speech uh, as he preps for this season. So another game that is going to be worth monitoring. And I'm telling you, man, uh, it is one of a ton of great games. And really, that's just what I'm going to wrap with. Listen, I got five more weeks until SEC football starts. For people who are new to this show, I do talk a lot of college football. When I did work for FoxSports.com as a writer, I covered both college football and college basketball. I do tend to skew more towards college basketball. But look, we're, if we get SEC football, it is going to be the talk of sports all of the fall. And so because of it, I will probably be continuing to talk football here over these next couple weeks. But with this SEC schedule, I had to talk it. But I'll also say this. In conclusion, um, I think my only other real thought on this is, can you imagine how exciting 10 straight weeks of SEC football is going to be? I mean, we've been talking about it for years, right? This idea that, you know, we'll get an early season fun out-of-conference game. Last year was Auburn-Oregon. Alabama traditionally plays a big opponent. And then we get like two, three weeks of dog crap, and then we finally get to the meat of the SEC schedule. So how about a season where we get nothing but SEC football all the way through until the end of the season? When I was looking at the schedule today, and I saw all these games, Auburn-Georgia Week 2, Texas A&M Alabama week two, Georgia Alabama week four. Uh, by the way, uh, Tennessee Florida, the final week of the season. It is just incredible. It is just surreal. And then when you add in personalities like Lane Kiffin, like M Mike Leach to the mix, I just think this is going to be so fascinating. And my biggest takeaway is, holy crap. 10 straight weeks of SEC football, 11, really 12 if you include the conference championship game. I am fired up, people. And so that's really my only last thing. I, I'm just so fired up and I'm so excited and I give the SEC so much credit for moving forward. Uh, let's get to a couple other topics in college football here before I get out of here for this bonus edition of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And I hope you're having fun and I hope you're enjoying this. And as I've told you many times, if you want this third episode every week, 
feel free to send me an email, AaronTorresPodcastQuestions at gmail.com. Drop me a DM. Drop me an Instagram DM. Just let me know that this is something that you want because I want to do what I can to serve my audience. And it feels like the last couple weeks, as this show's numbers have gone up, there is a demand for more AT. Even though some, I forget, it was the UConn fan that was mad that I kept calling, referring to myself in the third person. Uh, but people want AT. And so let's give them more AT. And if you do want a third episode every week of this show, go ahead and let me know. Really quick, I do want to hit on one topic that feels very topical. A topic that's topical. How weird. Uh, one topic that is topical based on Monday's show. And if you go back to yesterday's show, if you go back to Monday's show, you remember that I really essentially uh, I, I laid out my biggest concern for the SEC, right? And my biggest concern for the SEC isn't actually the SEC. I think Greg Sankey is doing everything he can. I think these coaches are doing everything they can to keep their facilities clean and safe for players. I think the players, for the most part, get it that this is going to be a non-traditional fall and that you got to be responsible. But what worries me about the SEC, what worries me about all of college football that is planning on playing this year is very simply this. It is everything that's happening outside of their control. And what I mean by that is what I said on Monday's show, that I just believe that every single negative storyline about COVID is going to be used against this sport as proof that we shouldn't play it. Even though we pushed the season back, even though we scheduled extra bye weeks, none of it matters because everyone is going to use every excuse possible to explain why we can't play college football, whether that is an outbreak on campus, whether it is an outbreak on an individual team, whether it is a number uh, rising, whether it's in uh, uh, an SEC state, an ACC state, a Big 12 state, whatever. Any piece of information is going to be used against college football. And so I found it really interesting that that is essentially what happened a day after I talked about it, when at the University of North Carolina, after a grand total of one full week on campus, I don't know if you guys saw this story, but after one full week on campus, the University of North Carolina has shut down the campus and gone to online only. And it happened after they could not get this COVID stuff in check. When students reported to campus, only 2% were positive. They were quarantined. And within a week, 13% of those tested were positive. Uh, and it's obviously disappointing. It goes without saying that we don't want anybody to get sick. It goes without saying we, we, we still don't know the long-term ramifications. So, of course, there is concern. Of course, I don't want people to get sick. Of course, I don't want outbreaks. And not just because I love college football, I want college football and college basketball for that matter. It's because it's just a scary time and I want everybody to be safe. But North Carolina shuts down. And immediately, I assumed that it was going to be, oh, my goodness, this is proof we can't do college football. But I will give the media credit for this. Because while I did see some of that, while I did see from some of the typical voices that you've come to expect it from, well, I mean, there's just no way we could play college football. I actually thought there were some other people that took a rational, well-thought-out approach to it. And it's very weirdly this. While none of us want any positive tests with COVID, we want everybody to be safe. We don't want campuses to shut down. Shutting down a campus is actually the best thing for college football. And what I mean by that is this, and a lot of people brought it up and a lot of people are right, 
is that we've talked about this idea that you can't create a bubble on a college campus, that you can't keep 18-year-old males from interacting with 18-year-old females. But when you send the rest of the student body home, that certainly makes it a lot easier. And so I actually saw two, three, four college football media members, and I give them a ton of credit, saying, weirdly, this is kind of like the best thing that could have possibly happened for the University of North Carolina. Now they know that their guys are going to be around the dorms and around the football facility and have nothing else really going on outside of football. They're going to do all their classes online. They can focus on football. They won't be interacting with a lot of people. They won't be going to in-person classes. And like, if you look at one team that's probably going to be relatively protected from an outbreak, it's probably the University of North Carolina. And so I saw a lot of people say that, and I am so excited that this is at least being talked about now, right? And to be, again, abundantly clear, I wish nobody got the virus. I wish nobody got sick. In reality, I actually feel bad for the folks in Chapel Hill. One, I feel bad for the students because you only get four years of college. They were the best four years of my life. I know for many of you, they were the best four or five, maybe six years of your life. And some of you out there, I know it was six years. Uh, And I feel bad for the kids. I feel bad for the people that work around town, the restaurant owners, the bar owners, the convenience store owners, the people that work in the bookstore, the people that work in the parking garages. There are so many people's livelihoods who just got completely flipped on their heads on Monday afternoon when the University of North Carolina closed down the campus. And I hope it doesn't happen again. I hope it doesn't happen on any other campus in America. But if we're just talking about college football, I actually do find it interesting that many in the college football media acknowledge, like, this actually isn't a terrible thing. So it'll be interesting to see what what happens going forward. It'll be interesting to see, um, one, if there continue to be more outbreaks. We talked about Notre Dame on yesterday's show. We've talked about some of the stuff going on on other campuses. As I said, Kentucky had a big issue this weekend. Alabama people are walking around without masks. But I think it's interesting that the narrative around this stuff is starting to change in college football circles where people are starting to say, you know what, it actually might not be the worst thing. I'll be curious if it stays that way. But again, I do still believe that any negative storyline will be used against college football. So I do hope that we can keep uh, these stories from, from happening, frankly, because one, I want to keep everybody safe. Two, I don't want to see campuses shut down and people lose their jobs. And three, of course, I want college football. Speaking of no college football, let's very quickly wrap up and I'll get to some basketball stuff. But I do very quickly want to get to the situation in the Big Ten. And if you haven't been paying attention, if you've been on vacation, if you've been on Mars, if you've been living under a rock, uh, the Big Ten has been a total S show over the last, what, week, 10 days? And we've gone over it. I've broken it down from every angle. But we know what happened, right? Big Ten, about a week, 10 days ago, decide that they are thinking about canceling the season and they're not really sure what to do and they're going to do it. And then there's pushback from Jim Harbaugh and Scott Frost and James Franklin and Ryan Day. And they decide, you know what, maybe we're not, oh my goodness, we're going to cancel the season. And then Tuesday, they cancel the season. And then, of course, on Wednesday, uh, all hell breaks loose because as soon as the season is canceled, um, it appears as though people are upset and people are not going to go down fighting. And it really started the week before when Justin Fields and all the other football players started the We Want to Play movement, letting the powers that be in college, ba- college football know, look, we want to play 
this season, okay? We want to play. We think it's safe. We trust our coaches. And the Big Ten basically just squashed that movement right away. And really, the frustration in Big Ten country was that the logic behind the decision did not make sense. Been over this the last two, three, four episodes, but it is worth repeating. It is hard to say that it's not safe for football players to play football when 13 of the 14 campuses are open to students. You can't tell me that a football player that's getting tested two, three, four times a week isn't safe in the football facility playing football, but that they are safe going to econ class and sociology class and living in the dorms and going to the school cafeteria. So that was crap. It's also crap to say that to use vague safety issues as a reason to cancel the season when now you want to move to the spring and you're talking about 18 to 20 to 25 games in the calendar year of 2021. For people who can't do the math, for people who don't understand, if you move to the spring, you're going to play a 7, 8, 10 game season in the spring and then immediately start preparing for a fall season in the fall of 2021. So it made no sense. And the last couple days, these Big Ten parents, I give them so much credit, have really pushed back. They have really said that this is completely unacceptable, that they are not going to accept this, and that they want some answers from the Big Ten. And as I said yesterday, I think it's completely fair because to take away this season without a clear-cut explanation, two things. One, it just doesn't make sense, right? And like I tweeted it out the other day, like, oh, we better have a good explanation. People are like, well, there's a pandemic. And it's like, yeah, there's a pandemic in SEC country and ACC country and Big 12 country, not to mention where the NBA is playing, the NHL is playing, where Major League Baseball is playing. There's a pandemic all over the world. We have figured out a way to do everything else, okay? We have figured out a way to play literally every other sport on the planet. We're playing European soccer. We're playing rugby in Australia. We are figuring out a way to play every other sport. So simply saying there is a pandemic really doesn't fly in terms of why we can't do it. We also, it also doesn't fly because of the fact that so many other people have gone back to work, people in grocery stores, people in office buildings. So it didn't make sense. But then the bigger thing is, if there is a legitimate reason, if there is a real health concern that playing football can impact the safety of players, then you owe it to everybody else to share that information. You owe it to the SEC. You owe it to the Big 12. You owe it to the ACC. You also owe it to the NBA and NHL and Major League Baseball and everybody like that. Because if you don't feel like it's safe to play college football, then it's not safe to play any of these other sports that we are currently playing right now. And so that has been my argument. That has been the argument of the Big Ten parents. And essentially, everyone is calling the Big Ten on their BS. We don't believe there was a real reason. We believe it was liability issues. We believe that maybe you were scared about all these college football players wanting to unionize, wanting to you know raise their voices together. And so... We need an explanation. That's all. If there's a logical explanation, give it to us and we will move on. But the Big Ten doesn't have one. And I'm telling you, man, they are really starting to feel the heat. And two things came up that I thought was worth monitoring on Monday. The first of which essentially confirms what I've been saying all along. The first of which was the Penn State AD. Oh my goodness. You talk about a Freudian slip. You talk about something that you should have never said but came out anyway. The Big Ten, the the, the Penn State AD admitted on Monday that as best she could tell, she didn't know if there was actually ever a vote from the Big Ten conference presidents, right? And 
I know you all know, but the Big Ten Conference presidents are the ones that ultimately canceled this season. The school presidents at all these 14 schools were the ones that voted to cancel this season. And so this AD is on a press conference, and her exact quote, this is an exact quote, it is unclear to me whether or not there was a vote. No one's ever told me there was. I just don't know whether there actually was a vote by chancellors and presidents. Let me do the, uh, get, let me pause here. Let me do the, 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 the screeching tires thing. Let me read the quote again and then do the screeching tires thing. This is the Penn State uh, AD talking about the school president's vote to cancel the season. It is unclear to me whether or not there was ever a vote. No one ever told me there was. I just don't know whether there actually was a vote by the chancellors and the presidents. That was me doing squeaking tires because what? What? We just canceled the whole season. We just literally altered the future of college athletics as we know it. And for all the reasons that I've said, because these schools are going to lose tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, because we're going to have to cut non-revenue sports, because there's football players who aren't going to have a chance to showcase themselves for the NFL, because there's football players who are going to deal with mental health issues away from the field and away from the routine of playing football, because there's football players who are still going to be asked to go in the facility and work out for 20 hours a week, but not play games. We made all those decisions, and we're not even sure if there was a vote. That we're not even sure if there was a vote. That doesn't make sense. Like, this is a cataclysmic, monumental, college sports-changing decision, and we don't even know if there was a vote? Unbelievable. And all it does is prove definitively, beyond a reasonable doubt. Now I'm pretending to be a fake lawyer like it's a, a time to kill or something here. But this is proved beyond a reasonable doubt, my point, Your Honor. And my point was always this. The logic never made sense. The way it was handled never made sense. And I always believed that the Big Ten made the decision to cancel without sound logic, without consulting anybody, and essentially this. They canceled the season for liability or maybe fear of unionizing, but they did it without any plan in place or without any reasoning in place, and they figured they'd figure out the logic and reasoning after they canceled the season. And if you think about what the Big Ten did, just think about it. They, 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 they plan on canceling the season. They try to leak out this story. Uh, they try to get all the other conferences on board with them so they're not the bad guys. Then they take about a day's worth of heat, and then under the cloak of darkness in the middle of the day when nobody's expecting anything, they make this quick joint announcement last Tuesday that they're canceling the season, okay? No time is considered. No practices are had. No specific reason is given outside of vague safety concerns, and no one outside of Kevin Warren has actually had to answer for this. And so it is. If you think this is a big conspiracy, it feels like a big conspiracy because nobody has good answers. Nobody is stepping up to the plate to explain. And oh, by the way, now we don't even know if the vote actually happened. But I will tell you this. There was some good news that came out of the Big Ten on Monday. Not for the Big Ten, it's not good news, but for the rest of us as college football fans, it's good news. And that good news was this, is that it appears as though these players and parents are not going down without a fight. And what do I mean by that? Mention it off the top, but there is a very famous lawyer. By the way, back to Monday's show. 
What did I tell you? I said, we've all been around sports. You coach youth sports. You coach high school sports. You're a volunteer. You coach your son. You coach your daughter. What did I tell you? There is no hell hath no fury like the fury of angered sports parents, okay? Hell hath no fury like angered sports parents. And so the Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Nebraska, Iowa parents have come out and demanded answers. And on Monday we find out that not only have they demanded answers, they have hired this big high-profile lawyer named Tom Mars to defend them, to represent them to get to the bottom of why the Big Ten isn't having a season and to demand that that decision be overturned if they don't get an answer. And if you don't know who Tom Mars is, Tom Mars has basically become the go-to guy for all of these kids that are trying to get a waiver to play right away, right? Like the one thing the NCAA, when they're going through these waivers, they don't want to deal with parents and lawyers because they know there's no real reason that a player should have to sit out if they leave college. And so Shea Patterson was represented by this Tom Mars guy. He got immediately eligible at Michigan. Justin Fields was represented by this Tom Mars guy. He gets immediately eligible at Ohio State. And now the parents have hired Tom Mars to defend themselves. And oh, by the way, Tom Mars did his first public speaking about this on Monday. And he said this. He was on the Big Ten uh, Sirius Channel Network. And you know what he said? He said, oh, yeah, we're, we're forming a big group. And I am putting in freedom of information requests for answers to this decision. For people who don't understand what freedom of information requests are, it's something that traditionally like a journalist will use. Uh, And if you are a public representative, if you work for a state school like all these ADs do, like all these conference uh, presidents do, your your work emails, your work cell phone, your work whatever, anything that happens on work is open for public consumption, okay? What you have to do is you have to put in a freedom of information request and you will get access to emails, phone logs, text messages. That's how, by the way, we figured out all that Greg Schiano stuff at Tennessee. Somebody put it in FOI and they found out that, uh, oh, by the way, all this sketchy stuff was happening, blah, 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 blah. Well, Tom Mars said today that he has put in an FOI request, which means that all these school presidents, all these conference commissioner, uh, uh, the conference commissioner, they are going to have to hand over emails and documentation about what happened. And so for the first time, really, I actually believe we might get some Big Ten football this year, guys, because the Big Ten can keep fighting this, but at some point they're going to have to turn over this documentation. And right now they don't, they don't want to do that. Because I don't believe that they have good, sound logic in terms of why they decided to cancel this season. And so the biggest way to make this thing go away is to just say, you know what, guys? Schedule your own games. You can't play as a member of the Big Ten, but Ohio State, if you want to play football in the fall, figure out a way to play football. Michigan, Penn State, whatever. Figure it out. I don't know that that's going to happen, but I feel kind of confident that it just might. Because if you think about the situation the Big Ten is in, at some point, they're going to have to, if they want to fight this, they're going to have to turn over all this documentation to the parents, the players, and the lawyers, and they are going to look really bad. And again, it comes back to what I said a minute ago. The information that they have is one of two things. It's either complete crap, which proves that the season being canceled was completely bogus, or they're hiding some really important medical information that should probably be out. So I'm just saying... I don't want to get too excited. I'm going off the rails here. I'm 45 minutes in, but I'm starting to feel like we might get some Big Ten football this year, people. 
pay attention to this. This is big. These Big Ten parents are not going down without a fight. Two quick basketball notes I just want to get to. Not going to spend a ton of time on this because I have spent enough time on all of it. And that is, uh, I've spent enough time on this show. And oh, by the way, another bubble betting pick just hit. I improved to 6-0 in my bubble NBA betting picks. Clippers by 6. Anyway, let's move on uh, because I do have two more topics I want to get to. Disappointing news out of college basketball and specifically my peeps at Arkansas. And you know Eric Musselman's been on the show a million times. I talk about Arkansas basketball a lot because I think they're a really exciting program. But they got some just crippling, devastating, crushing news on Monday when Isaiah Joe withdrew from school. And let me explain how this happened, okay? So as I said off the top, NBA draft deadline, the deadline to withdraw from the NBA draft was uh, two Mondays ago, August 3rd. And that date was specifically to retain your college eligibility. So in other words, if you had entered the NBA draft, but you wanted to play college football this coming season, you had to withdraw from the NBA draft by August 3rd. What few people knew was that the NBA itself actually had a different deadline. The NBA said you have until August 17th to declare for the draft if you want to be considered a draft eligible prospect for this year. And so it was this weird thing where there was this two-week buffer where a kid could announce he was returning to college but still had the option to go play professional basketball next year. And so there was only one player, as I record, as best we know, who made the decision to take advantage of that. That was Isaiah Joe from the University of Arkansas. Um, And Isaiah Joe on Monday made that exact announcement, that he had decided that with everything that has happened over the last couple weeks – that he will announce that he's going to the NBA draft. And what I'll say is this. I know it'd be, listen, first of all, I understand the frustration of an Arkansas fan, only player in the country to do it. For people who don't know, Isaiah Joe was phenomenal last year, 17 points a game, was one of the top returning players in the SEC. But what he said made sense. What he said was, when I, when I decided to return, I was fully deciding to come back. But then I watched this college sports landscape over the last two weeks And he said in his statement, a lot has changed in those two weeks. I don't know if I'm going to get a college basketball season. I don't know if it's going to start till January. I don't know if it's going to happen at all. And I have to protect my own self-interest. And so while I feel terrible for Arkansas, I do kind of understand where the kid is coming from. The Big Ten screwed this up for a lot of people, okay? The Big Ten screwed this up for a lot of people because by canceling their season, it has thrown everything into a frenzy. Now, day by day, we're trying to figure out if we're going to get football. Basketball, is that going to happen? Is it going to happen in a bubble? Is it going to happen in January? Is it going to start in November? Are we going to play in a bubble from November to January and then take a break? Are we going to get March Madness? Are we going to get May Madness? It has created just so many headaches for so many people. Um, And I understand the, 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 the player's reaction to it. And look, I wish that Isaiah Joe was coming back. I'm a huge college hoops fan. There's nothing that would have made me happier than to see Isaiah Joe return to college basketball. But I also don't really blame him because there's so much chaos around the sport. So that's all I really have to say about it. And the one thing I will say, a bunch of Arkansas fans asked me, look, I actually think you guys are going to be okay because I've been following Eric Musselman for years, okay, since his Nevada days. This is a guy, he's been on this show, he's talked about it, but he has coached at the 
NBA level. He has coached at the G League level. He has coached in the old ABA. So why do I bring it up? It's because of the fact that he is a guy that, one, he can adjust on the fly really well. But two, his best teams are hungry. They got guys that with a chip on their shoulder, and they got guys that want to prove something. And if you look at that roster, I'm not going to break it down because I've done it already. They got a bunch of guys that want to prove themselves, okay? They got a bunch of transfers that have come in. Some of them, it's their last shot, their last opportunity to play college basketball to prove they belong in the NBA. They got some freshmen that are highly touted that want to prove they can play in the NBA. Some freshmen that look like they may be buried on the depth chart that want to get earn some playing time. And so what ended up happening is I think he's got a roster full of hungry guys. They're going to war every day in practice, and we're going to get six, seven of those guys ready to play every single night in the fall. So losing Isaiah Joe is crushing, but I also don't think it's like the end of the program as we know it in the traditional way that losing a 17-point-per-game scorer would be. I think they still have guys that are hungry, guys that have something to prove, and I'm actually okay with where Arkansas is. I would still probably have them fourth, fifth, maybe sixth in the SEC, but I still think they're a tournament team, assuming we get a tournament and all that stuff. I still think they're going to be a matchup problem for a lot of people. All right, last little college note, basketball note. How about my boy... Uh, well, shout out to Matt Norlander, CBS Sports, uh, from Connecticut, grew up not far from where I do, did, he's a few years older than me, but see, he broke this story that um, Gonzaga and Baylor are setting up to do an out-of-conference college basketball game. And you might be thinking, okay, well, what does that even mean? Well, first of all, Gonzaga and Baylor are going to be really good next year. I have Gonzaga at number two in my preseason poll, I have Baylor at number three in my preseason poll, and those are going to be two really good teams. But over the last couple days, as the Pac-12 has said they're playing no out-of-conference games, Gonzaga and Baylor basically on the phone were like, dude, let's figure out a way to play a game. And so according to Norlander's report, um, we're not sure when, we're not sure where, we're not sure how it goes down, but Baylor and Gonzaga in August are scheduling a game. To me, that again is a great sign that college basketball is going to move forward. I talked about it yesterday. I would still focus on football before you start worrying about basketball, but I think it's a great sign. I think it's a, a, a thing that gives me confidence, that we maybe more confidence than I had even 24 hours ago, that these guys believe that we're going to get college basketball. But a huge story from college basketball, Baylor and Gonzaga are going to play. I got plenty of time to break down that game, break down teams and college hoops. But great story, fun story, good news for college hoops. All right, <laughs> guys, I'm not going to lie. I was hoping to get a half hour out of today's show. I am at the 52-minute mark, and that is all for today's Aerator Sports Podcast. Uh, I will be back later this week, assuming nothing crazy happens, like Kevin Warren resigns in the, the Big Ten or the Big Ten just announces, yeah, you guys can play football if you want. Uh, I'll probably be back Thursday. Great guest coming on Thursday, by the way. So great guest coming on Thursday. I'm assuming I'll come back Thursday, but I think there's a chance I'll come back tomorrow if something crazy happens. But as always, I want to thank you guys for your support. I want to thank you guys for doing what you do for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I've said it a few times now, but the numbers have been through the roof over the last couple weeks, even as I've put out more and more shows, you guys have consumed them. And as I've told you before, if you think that you have friends that would like this show, if you have friends that want logic and common sense, all the stuff that is going on that is lacking in college sports right now, 
feel free to send them the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast because I think this is one of the smartest shows going in terms of what's going on in college sports, what's realistic, what's not, what is the Big Ten doing, and I'm just spitting the truth all day, every day. So I want to thank you guys for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please make sure to do so. iTunes, do the Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, make sure to do so. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Uh, Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. That is all for today's show. I will be back sometime this week. I don't know when. I don't know where, but I will have a good guest. Until then, that is all. Thank you for listening. Shout out to Torrin Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice, and I will be back later this week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.